I don't care if God ever shows me that this is for my good. I get to believe it. It's part of me. It's down in my toes. It's what the Bible says. Don't take that away from me. If, if God takes all, it takes everything, leave me the scriptures and don't let me ever doubt them. Larry walked with me through a couple of dark spiritual valleys. He pointed me to God's abundant grace upon grace for me with no strings attached. Boy, did he ever love to talk about the good news of what Christ has done for sinners. He answered my endless questions with the love and grace of our Heavenly Father. I will always be grateful to him. Welcome to the Timeless Gospel Podcast. I'm your host, Faith Ann, and Larry Horton was my dad. The deepest connection I had with my dad was through his teaching of the gospel. My dad communicated grace more deeply and simply than most. These sermons came to be preserved through my dear Aunt Shirley, who, in the early 80s, requested that my dad's sermons be recorded on cassette tapes and mailed to her so that she could be edified from five states away. When Larry died and went home to be with the Lord in 2019, my Aunt Shirley came to the funeral and brought with her the very sermons this podcast was created to showcase. The remaining sermons were preached in the early 2000s at the church he pastored until he died. His children's prayer is that you will come to Christ through these sermons, or if you already are a Christian, be edified and comforted as so many were during his life. In this episode of The Timeless Gospel, Larry preaches on Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. After the sermon, I give about 10 minutes of commentary and then wrap up the episode with Luther's famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. King James says, but the just shall live by faith. This passage is, a uh, person would have the desire maybe to bring a very eloquent uh, sermon on this passage because it's one of the foremost popular passages that's in scripture. Scripture, We know a little bit of the background concerning the Reformation uh, and the truths of, of Romans 117 that Supplied to Martin Luther's life that uh, changed the history of the world. But we're not going to do that here. It's uh, just going to go right through it like we always do. Just look at a word, find out what it means, and go on. But uh, starting with verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We in the church, and I'm not knocking any particular church, I'm just saying the church today, that in the, in the last 50 years, the church, as we know it, all the different denominations have gotten away from this idea of, of the gospel, have gotten away from the idea of preaching. But I'm not opposed to any, and there's no reason to be opposed to any activities of the church, from supporting missionaries to playing softball. I, I'm, I'm all for that. But, but at best, any of these activities are secondary. We we get into counseling situations, and uh, people are not happy, so they 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 go to their pastor for it's it's such a, a real shame because people we, we're trying to help people. The church is trying to help people, but in doing so, they're hurting people. Uh, much in the analogy of uh, you would think that if a person went to a doctor with a severe uh, pain in their stomach, and the doctor out of love and compassion would give that person a shot to, to reduce, reduce that pain. 
you think what a kind and wonderful thing the doctor did, when in fact the doctor may have committed a criminal act, and we may have to throw the man in in prison uh, for taking away that pain. That pain was there for a reason. Maybe it's an appendix, uh, appendix attack, and the person doesn't need that pain relieved. He needs to get that operated on. He needs to be healed. And in the church today, we have all these different activities and we have all these different problems and we're trying to deal with them. We're having seminars on how to make money, how to manage money. We have seminars on how to raise children, uh, seminars on, uh, on how to be good husbands and good wives. We have all this different information, but we're not dealing with the crux of the problem. As Penny mentioned a while ago, that one verse, but there's many verses about Satan blinding the eyes. And, and a lost man cannot see because he's blind, cannot hear because he cannot hear. He's, he's lost. And, and from the beginning of the word to the end of the word, the, 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 the message is that man is dead. But the church today is preaching and teaching that man is sick. So we need to deal with that sickness. And we need to, we need to uh, help in that sickness, whether it be sending money to a missionary or playing softball. It really makes no difference, but there were not, the church is not conducting itself as was intended. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The primary, the primary function of the church is to preach. The primary, the primary function of the church is to preach the gospel. So we, we need to instruct people the fact that they're dead in their trespasses and sins, not that they're sick. If they're only sick, if they have a problem, we can deal with the problem and make it okay. And that, I'm afraid, is what's being done. But if we could somehow get it in our head that we can't help those folks, that we cannot help those folks, we can only preach the, 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 the sovereign grace of God, the gospel of the glory of God, preach the gospel. Paul comes and he's not ashamed of the gospel. When Paul came to Rome and when Jesus walked on this earth, half of the world was enslaved to the other half. And we don't find one word by either man that slavery was wrong. Well, we know it was. We know that's not a Christian way to act. But Jesus did not preach against it, nor the apostle Paul. When Jesus walked on the earth and the apostle Paul was here, there was tremendous immorality, tremendous immorality in, uh, in, in the courts of Rome. And also when Jesus was here. But that was, not his, that was not his message. Christ's message was not one of moral reform. He preached, I am the, I am the light. I am the truth. Same thing with the lady at the well, the woman at the well. Christ had all kinds of opportunities to enter into all kinds of moral reform with that woman uh, and, and religious debate, theological questions, and he, he chose not to do that. So the hardship, the, the, un, the, the way the people were having to live during these times was a terrible thing. Uh, half the world was downtrodden by the other half, and yet Christ nor Paul went about preaching uh, to change any of this. They went about preaching the gospel knowing that the gospel will change all that. Uh, there's a preacher that died some years ago, uh, 
Dr. Donald Roy Barnhouse, took the time to develop a map and of the world. And on this map, it was strictly a matter of black and white. So he drew a map where the gospel was being preached. And please believe me, I'm not talking about the plan of salvation that we're hearing today. I'm talking about the gospel of the glory of God. And he, he put a map up here showing where it, and he painted that white. And then over here, he painted the, the other part black, where the gospel was not being preached. Then he drew another map and forgot all about this map and went strictly on the information he had on uh, cruelty toward women, uh, civil rights, injustices to the people, things like this. And, and he drew a black and white map. And then he compared the two and they were identical. Where the gospel is preached, you don't have to worry about the rights of women. Where the gospel is preached, you don't have to worry about slavery. Where the gospel is preached, you don't have to worry about these things. They'll take care of themselves. And the church today is trying to do everything but preach the gospel. The only thing that'll help. The only thing that'll change anything. We're dealing with symptoms. The church is dealing with symptoms, and we are not dealing with the cause. And the cause is every man born in this world is dead, and they do not understand that. They do not know that. And they, they just, we're dealing with people uh, on, a, on a completely different level than what the, the word tells us to deal with them on. There's nothing wrong with counseling. There's nothing wrong with a softball team. There's nothing wrong with giving to missionaries. But all these things are secondary at most. And most preachers and pastors spend 90% of their time doing 10% of, uh, of effective ministry because they're not preaching the gospel. They're not studying the word. They are, they are dealing with, with all these other situations in the church, trying to help people. Paul knew better. He preached the gospel. He's not ashamed of the gospel. How important it is for each one of us to know what the gospel is. And then proclaim it. <clears throat> for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. We talked a little bit about this last week. It is the dunamis of God. It is the dynamite of God. There's only one thing that 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 you have that that you that you have that it's powerful, and that's the gospel. It's not your physical uh, abilities. It's not your beauty. It's not your wealth. You have one thing that you have power and nothing else. Compare yourself with anybody else and you come out equal or lower, but you do have the gospel. And that it, the gospel is, is the most powerful thing on the face of the earth. I'll show you why. You have a criminal. You have a bank robber. We have a, a system that's, that's powerful. And we can incarcerate that bank robber. We can end up getting him off the streets and out of our banks and put him into prison. But he's still a bank robber. We just got him locked up. That's the power of the government. That's the power of the law. That's the power that you and I have in that degree. But as citizens. But you and I can go to that bank robber and preach to him the gospel. God can intervene and God can, can show mercy. And, and we can change that man's mind. Where he's no longer a bank robber. We can change his heart. 
We have the most important thing in the world. We have the most powerful thing in the world, and that is the gospel. And the church is going out. We are going out doing everything we can except preaching the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. What does salvation mean? Anybody want to venture guess what? I'll take a little swig here. What is what is salvation? It's a it's a medical term in the Greek language. It simply means help. Salvation doesn't have to do with a healthy body. It has to do with a healthy soul. As far as how the word derives and, and it's come to us that way, that's all, that, that's all it really means. We now have a healthy soul. We had a dead soul. Our, our spirits were dead and our, and our souls were corrupt. Salvation is, now we have health. You were sick, now you're health. You have health in that regard. We're saved from things. We, 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 we've, been, we've, been, we've been totally delivered from some things. We're being delivered from other things, and we will be totally delivered in the future. And we all know about the three Ps of Cyrus, Ingersoll, Schofield. We've been saved uh, from the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin, and we will be saved from the very presence of sin. But there's only one way that can happen. There's only one way that can happen, and that is through the gospel, and no other way. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, our dispensational friends make a very uh, big deal out of this, but simply what that means is it came to the Jews first. To the Jew first and also the Greek. It, the Jews do not have, in this, in this dispensation, in this time, they do not have any... Uh, a preference over the Greeks. There's now no longer male or female, uh, slave or free, uh, circumcised or uncircumcised. It's all, all one thing. And God is not working with any nations, nor will he, but God is working with individuals. And he, you know, here it's talking about the Jew first simply because the gospel came to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, and, and there is the most important word of these two verses, is the little word IT. For in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. If, if the gospel that you know, that you believe, that you think you know, if it doesn't lift up and reveal the righteousness of God, then you're, you're not, you don't have the gospel right. You're not preaching right. This is, everybody makes a big deal out of the fact that Luther, that Luther saw the just shall live by faith. And boy, that is a big, big deal. But Luther also saw this, and we kind of, the history kind of passes over this. But one of the big things that changed Luther's life is the fact that he saw that the righteousness of God was in the gospel. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. We're trying to reveal the righteousness of God where? In his law. God's righteousness is not revealed in his law. God's righteousness is revealed in the gospel. 
So as I am preaching and teaching and communicating and sharing and witnessing the gospel, I am I am doing all those verbs uh, unto the righteousness of God. I am declaring the righteous, righteousness of God. I am showing the righteousness of God. We, we, we get all caught up in trying to live a good life, and, and that's fine. We, you know, I don't want anyone going out killing other people or anything, but boy, I'll tell you, if you could just preach the gospel, if you could just communicate the gospel, therein lies the righteousness of God. And I'm not this, I'm not getting away from what we discussed in uh, Colossians concerning preaching, but what I am saying is that should be your attitude. You know, you're supposed to be ready to give give an account uh, when those ask, okay? Then, then that's what I'm talking about. What, what is it you're going to say to them? Well, you, you have, a, you have seem like your life is different than mine. You, you've got something I don't have. Uh, can you help me? Yes, just trust in Jesus and all your problems will be over. Is that the gospel? No, it's a lie. It's a lie. First thing you got to communicate to those folks is they're dead. That's not being done today. We're trying to help them. Trying to help them in their mind, will, and their emotions. Trying to help them in their body. Don't smoke. Don't drink. Don't, don't go into all this corrupt stuff over here. You've got to be willing to, to make Jesus your Lord. Uh, you got to read your Bible all the time because that's what will change your mind. Not all the time. All the time. They're dead. That's the first and foremost thing. Satan has got the, the world blinded and Satan gets behind the pulpit and he teaches more lies. And that is that they're not dead, that we can help them. That we can help them through our counseling, through our, through our activities, through our fellowship, through our sharing, through our witnessing, through all these things. There's only one thing going to help them, that's the gospel. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God simply means the rightness of God. One has said long before me, and I, I agree completely, that God doesn't do what is right. It's right because God doesn't. Everything that happened at the cross is right. Why? Because it's right? Who's to judge? No, it's right because God did it. God, Anything that God does is right. Whether it be killed out the whole world, save knowing his family, that, that was right because God did it. So the rightness of God is revealed how? In the gospel. How is the rightness of God revealed? Because there's nobody ever lived that this is smart that can come up with a way for a man to, to remain right, to remain just, and enter into fellowship with someone like me. There is, there is no way that that can be done correctly and righteously except through the cross as we know it. That's the only way it can happen. And I'll, I'll tell you, I have a little time here. I'll tell you a little something that, that, I, that I that show you is the beauty of the Word of God. I thought I had years ago. We know that Christ came and died for, for, for my sin. And there was a time when I thought, God, I really, really appreciate it. I'm really glad that happened. And I'm really glad that you that you saved me and that, that you sent Christ down here and died for me. I, I really believe in God. I really appreciate that. But, sir, you're still, you're still not perfect. It didn't work out just perfect. 
And the reason it didn't work out just perfect is because as much as I appreciate the fact that the Lord died for me, he never did anything wrong. And you punished him on the cross. So, I, again now, I really am thankful that, that you did it this way. And I'm never going to say this openly in public to anybody. You can trust me with this secret. But still, you weren't quite perfectly righteous because you did you did punish an innocent man in my place. But then, years later, and I thought that for a long time, years later, I, I realized, I, I came across that, that law in the Old Testament. And it says, cursed is anyone who hangeth on a tree. And then the Apostle Paul explained that whole thing to me in Galatians when he says, cursed is anyone that hangeth on a tree. And God, when he poured out his wrath upon the Lord Jesus Christ, did not legally pour out his wrath on an innocent man because his son was a violator of the law in the fact that he was hanging on a tree. And yet Christ never sinned. Isn't that, isn't that just beautiful? The fact that, that God could be that smart and that righteous and that just. So when he poured out his wrath upon our, the Lord, he poured out his wrath upon Larry Horton for all the sins that I've committed. Even though this was the only one, now I'm not going to say that Christ committed, but that, Christ, that, that God was punishing the Lord for. But that brings back in, again, Paul's words in, in Galatians, that if you're a violator in one point, you violate the whole law. So God could legally and justly pour his wrath out upon his son on the cross for my sake and yours because he was on a cross. If he would have been killed in any other way, God could not have, God could have not have brought wrath against him. No other way, no other way could have God put, brought his wrath against his son, showing, showing the, the, the righteousness and the justice of God. For in the gospel, the righteousness is revealed from faith to faith. Now that has stumped theologians for about 2,000 years. From faith to faith. For in, the right, for in it, in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. What do you suppose that might mean? Do you have any comments or questions about that maybe? The gospel is revealed not from a shout out of heaven, not from an angel, but from faith to faith. There's about three different uh, trans, uh, ideas about it. This is mine. Uh, I am in a camp with other people who believe the same thing. They have taught me uh, through their books, and I'm not saying I'm right. This is just my opinion of what faith to faith might mean. Uh, some believe that it's uh, the faith of Christ and the faith of man and the faith of God and the faith of man. I don't much go for that. But you see, God can come down here and save this whole world in two seconds, in, in, in a twinkling of an eye. Save everybody if he just wanted to do it, couldn't he? Just boom, everybody's saved. And he could do that. Or if you want to be more technical, he'd come down and just save his elect. Just like that, boom, everybody's saved. It's going to be saved. And we know that he could do that. But then Satan would come to God and say, yes, God, you saved all those people and you beat me. You won this deal. You won this fight. But God, that's because you're God. <laughs> you're more powerful than I am. But God has devised a way in which we 
who are lower than angels, we who are less than Satan, we don't have the experience, the wisdom, the, the, we don't have anything that he's got, the, the power, the money, anything else. He is a God, and we're just this sinful human being. And yet, people are, God is saving his church. How? From faith to faith. From my faith, someone else's faith. My faith creates someone else's faith as far as the means of God. And so Satan is out fighting boys, and all of us lowly people are beating him. You know, we're beating Satan. Showing again the, the beauty of how God works things. From faith to faith. There has never been a person brought to Christ that wasn't done so by another person's faith. As far as the means that God uses. He uses people to bring in his church. Paul was saved right out on the Damascus Road. You know, God, Christ came down out of heaven and, and quoted Paul, you know, why are you persecuting me? And, and Paul was gloriously saved that day on the Damascus Road without anybody around. But Paul saw Stephen stoned years before. And I don't believe he could ever get that out of his head, out of his mind, how Stephen acted when he was being stoned. From Stephen's faith to Paul's faith. You say, well, you know, I, I know people who have been saved over in Africa who never, never were witnessed to. They just picked up a track somewhere, picked up the word somewhere and read it and were saved. Well, somebody paid for that track, for that word. Somebody's faith produced that. Faith to faith. We're winning the fight. We're beating Satan all over the place. Little lowly people. We've got the most powerful thing in the world. We've got the gospel. And if we could just get like the Apostle Paul, don't be ashamed of it. Knowing that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Faith to faith. The righteous man shall live by faith. Just shall live by faith. Most of us believe the just shall live by fear. The just shall live by works. Just shall live by goodness. No, the just shall live by faith. God gave Moses 613 precepts in his law. The Ten Commandments were just part of it. David in Psalms 15 brought the whole law of God down to 11 precepts. Later, Isaiah brought it down to three. Later, Malachi brought it down to two. I'm sorry, Isaiah brought it down to six. Malachi brought it down to three. But in that little book of Habakkuk, the whole law of God can be uh, brought down into one, one sentence, one statement. The just shall live by faith. That is such a, an enormous statement that has taken three books of the New Testament to write commentary on it. Showing you again the, the, the depths of the word of God. It's taken three books to tell you what the just shall live by faith means. The book of Romans tells you the just shall live by faith and the emphasis is on who are the just. What is a just man? Galatians tells us the just shall live by faith. And, and, and the emphasis on Galatians is how do you live? How do you live? You live by faith. And then Hebrews tells us the just shall live by faith. And the emphasis on Hebrews is what is faith? So you have an understanding of Romans, an understanding of Galatians, and an understanding of Hebrews. You have an understanding of Habakkuk, which 
which is a condensed one sentence of the whole law of God given to Moses. What, 4,000 years ago or so? It's, it's, it's just beautiful. It's, it's just beautiful. The just shall live by faith. The righteous man by faith shall live. We want to we want to live every other way but by faith. What? How can we describe faith? It's such a simple word, and we try to make it a theological thing out of it. Such a very simple word. If you've ever had faith in a medicine, you know what faith is. If you've ever had faith in a doctor, you know what faith is. If you've ever had a faith in a chair, you know what faith is. If you've ever had faith in a voice on a telephone, you know what faith is. I'm going to get all dressed up in the morning. And I'm going to get up very early for me in the morning. I'm going to get up about 6 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to put on, I'm going to get all showered and shaved and get all cleaned up and put on my suit. And I'm going to drive all the way out to Real Rogers Airport because of a voice on the phone. That's faith. It, it's not faith if I say, yes, ma'am, I believe you. Hang up and then don't go. Because that means I don't believe her. But the lady told me there's going to be a plane leaving in the morning, going to Dallas at 7 o'clock. I believe that, therefore I'll be there. That's all faith is. It makes such a big deal out of it. Faith is simply believing and acting on what you believe. But there's a little bit more to it than that. There's a, a missionary years ago out in the Pacific. I forget his name. It, his last name is the same as a, a great general of ours, but I've forgotten both their names. But he went to, to this cannibalistic people, and uh, at the time he got there, by the providence of God, there was a great illness, sickness in the in the uh, tribes, and they, about half of them were already dead. The rest of them were going to die. And he went around and he, and he dispensed medicine to them and nursed them back to health, health, and therefore they allowed him to stay there. As he was staying there, they, he uh, he would try to pick up on their language. He wanted to learn their language. And and over several years, he finally learned enough of the language to write the Gospel of John in their language. The only problem he had was with faith. They had no word for faith. And he went to the, to the elders, and he went to the chiefs, trying to find a word for faith in their language. And he just he just couldn't find one. Went, went on for years trying to find a word for faith. Finally, one day, some young men came by and wanted to know if he wanted to go hunting with them. They were going to go out and kill some, some meat. And they killed a, a, a bear or a deer or something, I forget, but a big, heavy piece of something. And they were bringing it back. And by the, by now, he had a little house set up. And out in the, out in the front yard, he had a hammock. And so the young man was bringing back the, the deer or whatever it was that they had killed, and, and they put it on his porch or in his house somewhere. They went outside, and this one young man laid down in his hammock, and he, and he stretched out in his hammock. And so the missionary's wife asked the young man if he'd like to come in and have something to drink. And he said, no, he just wanted to stretch out in his hammock. And immediately the light went on. That was the word that the missionary used for faith in the Gospel of John, stretching out. It's not just believing with our with our minds, but it's it's a trusting in. It's it's a resting. It's it's a stretching out. I have stretched out with Christ. That's faith. The just shall live by faith. 
Who are the just? They're the ones that live by faith. How do we live? We live by faith. You can turn this thing around any way you want to turn it, and it comes out the same. We do not live by fear. We do not live by good works. We do not live by our personalities. We do not live by our abilities. We live by faith. It's believing, trusting, acting on that trust, stretching out, resting in the finished work that Christ has done for us on the cross. The finished work in the mind of God concerning us. He has declared me righteous. I believe that I am. The very fact that he's declared me righteous makes me righteous. Because there's no make-believe with God. We Christians get such a such problem and we try to work ourselves out of it. And if we could just learn what Luther learned, the just shall live by faith. And just as it's recorded three times in the New Testament, it came to Luther three different times. As a young monk, as a, they, Luther wasn't good for anything. Luther, uh, he, the, 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 the fathers there and the elders in the, the, where he was, they tried to give Luther a job and he wasn't good for it. He wasn't good at anything. He just wasn't, he just wasn't any good at anything. So they said, well, I'll tell you what, Luther can't do anything. Let's just put him in charge of studying the Bible. And they said, okay. So Luther, that's his job, was to study the Bible. But as a young monk, before the sun comes up, we find Luther in the middle of his floor, washing it. Trying to, to do penance before God. And a little light came in. A little light came in. The just shall live by faith. And at that point, Luther couldn't get that out of his head. He had read it in Romans. He didn't understand it, but there he was down on his knees trying to clean this floor, trying to, to do penance, trying to work for God, trying to, to work out all this, this bitterness and evilness, sinfulness in his life. And a little light came in. The just shall live by faith. Years later, we find him in a place called Bologna where he was deathly sick. They thought he was going to die. And, and, and he was had high, high temperature. And during this time, over a two or three day period of high temperature and unconsciousness, over and over and over and over in Luther's mind, according to his son, the words kept coming, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Well, miraculously, Luther got well. Years later, he could, he was getting ready to go and do the, the finest thing that a person can do in, in, in his, uh, his uh, way of life. That was to go to Rome and to see all the relics. I'd buy you a lot of time in heaven. And there, were the, there was the, 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 the stairs going up to the, to, uh, uh, I, I forget now, into the temple, this great staircase where the, the pilgrims would come and they would crawl up on their knees. And it, had, it was a very, it was supposed to, supposedly the very staircase that Christ walked up and walked up in Jerusalem. And it had the blood there on the on the uh, on the steps, and over the steps it had the glass where you could keep the blood, supposedly. And there we find Luther, this older man at the time, walking on his hands and knees. Everybody else was walking up the steps. There Luther was walking on his hands and knees up these steps to get some kind of. Uh, recognition from God Almighty got halfway up the stairs and it came to him again for the third time. The just shall live by faith. And his, his heart just exploded with, with joy and happiness. And he jumped up from the stairs. And he just walked down. That was the end of that. 
and it is from there that God started the Great Reformation. It was it was there that 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 God started a work that that gives you and I privileges today. It's worked all the way down this little room in Moore, Oklahoma. That one moment when Luther got up from those steps and turned and walked down and said, "The just shall live by faith." It's 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 been taught for so long. You've heard it all your life, but do you understand it? Do you really know what it means? The just shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the gospel, for in it is the righteousness of God. It has been revealed in the gospel, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. First, I want to talk about the church and the church's primary role. And you talked about how softball teams and mission fields and Sunday schools, that kind of thing is okay, but it shouldn't be the primary goal of the church. And growing up, dad was always involved in a church, either his own or teaching at others, other churches. And we knew that that was the case. We always understood that the main reason we were going to church was to hear theology, to hear about God, and to hear about the gospel in particular. The extracurricular activities that may or may not have been around, depending on what church we were going to, were always secondary. And I really appreciate that about Dad. I appreciate that we didn't go to church for youth group and we didn't go to church because it was cool and there was pizza and um, it was a fun place to be as a kid. There's plenty of opportunities for those kinds of social interactions. Church was separate. Church was set apart. Church was about God. Church was about what do you do with your sin. Church was about the five points of Calvinism. Church was about the love of God. Church was about the family of God. Today, the church that I attend, and this is this is the church where Dad preached until he died. That was the case. It's always been about God. It's always been about what does the Bible say. The hard things, the easy things, the wonderful things, the more difficult things that the Bible teaches or says, that was our primary concern. It is our primary concern today. It's sad sometimes when families get involved in churches for the wrong reasons or they're looking for a church but, but their criteria for the church is they want a good youth group and they need a great nursery and they need their kids need a place to socialize. Dad's feeling was that kids need a place to socialize is not why we go to church. And I, I appreciated what he said about churches wanting to help people, but they don't understand that people are dead and the non-believer's dead. He needs to hear the gospel. He needs to repent. He needs to be made alive, not just helped, but resuscitated, I would say. bringing That's what Christ does, is he brings life to the dead. And the churches, the pastor's job is to proclaim the good news of the gospel and to call people to repentance. Softball team or no softball team, that is the job of the pastor. Youth group or no youth group, there's plenty of other places for us to socialize and for us to learn things. But the Word of God, the church is, is the place where the Lord has told us that the Word of God is to be proclaimed. I mean, it's to be proclaimed everywhere, but if you're not getting it at church, that's not good. We didn't fall in the trappings of 
having the wrong priorities at our church. And and part of that was because most of the time we were in small churches. Dad's preaching focused on what the Bible actually teaches, and the Bible actually teaches unconditional election and limited atonement, and those are not popular doctrines. So most of the time we were in very small churches. And today our church, the church that I attend, the church dad taught at till he died, very small. But our people are living out their Christianity. They don't, we don't have the bells and whistles, but when our members need help, we help. We come to the aid of our people with joy and with with happiness and with grace and with our talent and our resources. We're doing that right now. We don't need all the extra stuff to be to know how to act, to know what God calls us to. The second thing I wanted to talk about was the righteousness of Christ being revealed in the gospel. That is something that Larry talked about in this sermon. The righteousness of God being revealed in salvation in the gospel. He said the righteousness of God is not revealed in the law, it's revealed in the gospel. And the gospel is Jesus Christ taking on the sins of the sinner and paying for those sins and declaring the sinner righteous, declaring the very righteousness of God or imputing the very righteousness of God to the sinner. That is the great hope and it's the righteousness of God and it's the power of God in that that act of taking on the sins of the sinner and paying for those sins and declaring the sinner righteous. I recently had the opportunity to learn about a series of debates between Christopher Hitchens and Doug Wilson about nine years ago. And Doug Wilson is a pastor in Idaho, and I would uh, strongly encourage you to listen to anything that Doug Wilson has to say. He is a strong Bible-believing and teaching pastor. Uh, He is Reformed. Calvinist pastor and has great end times theology. But he and Christopher Hitchens were had a series of debate, debates several years ago, and they got along very well. They were off camera. They got they were both very pleasant to each other and respected each other. And then once once the debate started, they were still very respectful, but they they argued the the credibility of Christianity. Is Christianity good for the world? And one of the things that Christopher, Christopher Hitchens said, which I've never heard, I've never actually heard this defense against Christianity, and he said in one of their debates, they had a series of them, I think the teachings of Christianity are immoral. The central one is the most immoral of all, and that is the one of vicarious redemption. You, the fact that you can throw your sins onto somebody else. I can pay your debt if I love you. I can't take your sins away because I can't abolish your responsibility, and I shouldn't offer to do so. Your responsibility has to stay with you. There's no vicarious redemption. In fact, there's no redemption at all. What a sad plight for the human race. No redemption. It's almost like he was saying that that's not fair. It's unfair to have a savior and when we lay our heads down on our pillows at night, we know we're sinners. What are we supposed to do with that if there's no sinner? I mean, I'm sorry, if there's no Savior, being offended that there's a Savior. When the Bible says that the, that the gospel is the righteousness, that's where the righteousness of God is found is in the gospel. He did that very thing. He did take on 
our um, sins. He did redeem us, and we we were able to put our sins onto someone else. What a what a difference! I mean, that's our hope. That's everything for us. Thank God there is a Savior, and thank God we can put our <laughs> that we do have vicarious redemption. So that's uh, what I thought about for this lesson. I hope to, in future episodes, bring back people to talk to. Um, after the episode was over, we're getting really good feedback on those interviews that I've done. And uh, we are working on getting people to come on and talk with me about Larry and about these wonderful truths of the, of the gospel that Larry was able to explain so well. I will leave you with a quote from Martin Luther, since he did talk about the famous um, Luther verse, the just shall live by faith. So Luther says, you must learn to call on the Lord. Don't sit all alone or lie on the couch, shaking your head and letting your thoughts torture you. Don't worry about how to get out of your situation or broad about your terrible life, how miserable you feel and what a bad person you are. Instead say, Get a grip on yourself, you lazy bum. Fall on your knees and raise your hands and eyes towards heaven. Read a psalm, say the Lord's Prayer, and tearfully tell God what you need. That's some motivational talk for you, isn't it? Christian, do tell God what you need. He is ready to hear your prayers. And like Larry said in the very first episode in Romans eight twenty eight, God is working all things out for your benefit. That finishes my thoughts on Larry's sermon on Romans 1, 16 and 17.
Thank you for listening to the Timeless Gospel Podcast.